You know, Advent is all about looking forward to the return or celebrating the coming of Jesus. And as we're in this series, we're talking about not just coming of Jesus, but the return of Jesus. And today, what I want you to kind of get your mindset fixed on is the idea of preparing for Jesus and his return. And I think it's very important to do this, especially in the Christmas season. So you got to prepare. You got to get your heart right. You got to get your mind right. You got to get your house right. And as you prepare, all of a sudden, the Christmas season comes alive in your heart and your life, and it becomes contagious to those around you. In the same way, in the same manner, we need to prepare for the coming of our Lord. We need to prepare for the coming back of our Lord as well. And that's where we're going to be today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to walk through verses 1 through 11. And as we do this, you're going to see a dramatic shift in Paul's thinking from where we just studied in chapter 4, 13 through 18, to where we are in chapter 5, 1 through 11. Because one was talking about the dead in Christ and how they will rise. But today we're more focused on what's going to happen at the return of Jesus. And, and what I mean by that is what's going to happen with that judgment and the looming judgment for those who are dead in Christ, those who are alive in Christ. And so just kind of keep that, that it's not so much about how they're, they're living and what's going to happen with the dead as much as it is the shift in thought to the tribulation. So starting in verse 1, it starts off and it says this. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction, that's a strong word here, sudden destruction, right? It's kind of like what we saw in Kentucky this week with, with all the tornadoes, sudden destruction. And by the way, if y'all want to support those families who are suffering loss just like we did December 26, what, six years ago, uh, you can go to Texas Baptist Men or you can go to Southern Baptist Disaster Relief and just Google those things and you'll see an opportunity for you to give back. And we as a community, we as a church who are helped so many by the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief and the Texas Baptist Men, we need to be giving back to them as well. Keep them in your prayers. But that's the kind of sudden destruction that we're talking about. Just everything's fine one day and then it just comes and it destroys everything the next. We'll come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Woman, they will not escape. Do you know what's inevitable for a pregnant woman? Labor pains. Do you know what's inevitable for all of us who live and breathe? The coming of the Lord and the judgment associated with it. It is coming. It is something that we can be sure of. We cannot and will not escape it. Verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, fear should not be associated with the coming back of the Lord. Instead, that is a day of joy and gladness because you want to know why? We're finally free of the sinfulness of this world. Verse 5, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Verse 8, but since we belong to the day, 
Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Jesus Christ himself. He is the way to salvation. Salvation happens through him. There is no other way in which we have salvation. Continue on verse 10 says, Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, living or dead, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, as we look at this passage and we have this clear understanding of what God is doing, we can see that the day of the Lord is going to be an astonishing day. The day of the Lord is going to be astonishing, but it shouldn't be a surprising day. Because as we think about the day of the Lord, it's something that we know is going to happen. Like, there's a certain thing that happens on Christmas morning. Do y'all remember the joy of Christmas morning when you were a child? Maybe you see it in the kid's face or maybe your grandchildren's face. See, everybody has the same thought on Christmas morning. The good kids and the bad kids. This is the thought. Santa's coming. Everybody knows Santa's coming, but they don't know what they're getting. Now, I always remember Christmas Eve being a very nervous night in my heart. You want to know why? It wasn't that I didn't know if Santa was coming or not. It's just I never knew if I were getting cold and switches or if I was going to get something good every single year. This probably went all the way through college whenever I would go home Christmas morning. I had no idea what it was going to be like. I always, truth be told, expected switches every single year. And so for me, it wasn't so much if Santa was coming, it just, I didn't know what I was going to be facing in the morning. I didn't know what was going to be waiting for me in the morning. And with this, as believers, that is not something that as people who are living on earth with life and breath in our lungs, that is not a thought we should have. We should not be questioning whether or not we are going to receive coal and switches from the Lord or if we're going to have the prize of heaven for us. Listen to me, please. If you are not confident about your salvation, today needs to be the day of your salvation. Eternity is too long to be wrong. You have got to be settled in your heart that you are a child of God, covered by the blood of God, with conviction and certainty that you will spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And if you are not there, please listen to me. Don't let today pass without making sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know, that you know, that you know, that you will spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And these are not just words to be heard. This is a decision to be settled in your heart. But the problem is, with this, it's not so much if he's coming. People need to know when they're coming. How many of y'all are planners? Do we have any planners in the room? Y'all get ready for a vacation? It's not a real vacation unless you have an agenda. I'm speaking Ed's love language right here. Edwin, you with me on this? Gotta have agenda. And as you think through it, people need that agenda. And so they start to wonder, when is he coming back? And this has been the question for the the church for years. You got people speculating on it. But whenever we see this passage, it says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
It is coming. But I want you to understand something very clearly about the day of the Lord and the second coming of Jesus. No one has an accurate, precise knowledge of when Jesus is going to return. And this bugs the fire out of so many people. It irritates so many people because they want to plan. They want to know and they look in Scripture and they come up with all these dates. There was a campaign in 2011. I don't know if you remember it. But the, the name of the campaign was We Can Know. And it was based upon this idea through like the numbers and research and everything in the Bible. This crazy guy, this pastor, preacher, whatever false prophet is what he proved to be. Is that the day of the, the return of Christ was going to be May 21st, 2011. Forget all the people who said it was going to happen in the year 2000. And then all of a sudden, May 22nd came and nobody was raptured. And so there were some people who went around and they, they made sure everybody knew that it was a do-over. It was supposed to be October 21st, not May 21st, right? They just got the fives off somewhere. But what we need to understand in the return of Jesus is what Matthew 24 says, uh, verse 36 through 39 says, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. Everybody say it with me. No one knows. We should be able to stop there, right? But it continues and it says, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. No one knows, not the angels, not the son, only the father. Not the crazy guy on TV who's going to promise you that if you give him $5, he's going to give you insight to the return of Jesus. Verse 37, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Church, hear me on this. We don't need to be outside the boat when Jesus comes back. We need to be prepared, ready for it. Ready in season, out of season, always ready, knowing this, that the return of Jesus is imminent. It's going to happen like a flash. It's going to happen at any single moment. The proper billboard should say something like this. I took the courtesy of editing it myself. The return of Christ, maybe today. Maybe today. That's how we need to live. Maybe today. Maybe Jesus is going to come back today. So what is there on your list of things to do before you get to heaven that you need to do? Let me tell you something. It's not a vacation. It's not a trip. It's making sure that the person outside of a relationship with Jesus hears about Jesus. It's making sure that you invite people to church, that you tell them about what God has done in your life, that you do the only thing worth doing on earth that you can't do in heaven, and that is sharing your faith with someone who does not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Be and live and think and have the drive of an evangelist because you want to know something? Eternity is too long to be wrong. And if God has placed you in the life of unbelievers, which I promise you he has, you need to make the most of every moment because Christ's return is imminent. As we go back to verse 4, it starts off and it says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. He's saying, look, church, you know he's coming. You have no excuse 
to be surprised by the coming of the Lord. You're not in a position of those who are watching Noah get the boat ready, who are living their lives like Jesus doesn't matter. You have no excuse. Verse 5, for you are all children of the light. Do you see the distinct distinction between those who are in Christ and those who are outside of a relationship with Christ? It should be night and day difference. Hear me, church. Whenever you think about your life before Christ, it should look nothing like your life in Christ. If Christ is your Lord and Savior, it should impact every area of your life. The way you talk, the way you dress, the way you act, the way you prioritize, the way you spend your money, all of it should be different. Your living, your morals, your conduct, your priorities, all of it. And as you think through, verse 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, but those who get drunk, get drunk at night. When he's referring to darkness and those who are outside of relationship with Christ, what he's talking about is darkness refers to the wickedness and the living in ignorant sinfulness. The darkness is a life outside of Christ. Like, One of the things that that we get surprised by, that I see the church surprised by, which I don't really understand, is when people who are outside of a relationship with Jesus live as people who are outside of a relationship with Jesus. Like, we should not expect people who don't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior to live with values and morals that align with Scripture. They're outside of Scripture. We don't need to look at them and be like, I can't believe they would do that. What do you expect them to do? Act like Jesus? If somebody doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, their heart is not going to be filled with love. It's going to be filled with hate. If someone doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, they're not going to prioritize others. They're going to prioritize themselves. If someone doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they're not going to work to build up. They're going to work to tear down. We had this thing on Facebook yesterday. Larry Beckham, a guy in our community who posts everything. Usually it's negative about a new development in the city of Rowlett. Yesterday said, First Baptist Rowlett, finally gonna build. And he put some plans on there. They're not exactly accurate, but they are preliminary plans. And so as we saw it, you know what we saw? Some people that were happy. And then some trolls on there that had negative things to say. You know what I say about the trolls? Haters going to hate. Let them hate, hate, hate. I don't care. They don't bother me. They want to talk about us good. I'm going to turn that into an opportunity to invite them to church. You want to know why? Because the trolls need Jesus too. Can I get an amen on that one? But people outside a relationship with God aren't going to build up. They're going to tear down. Be ready for it. Don't let it bother you. Consider the source. But if you're in Christ, don't return to the former way of living. If you're in Christ, live in the light, not in the darkness. Proverbs 2 gives us this passage that says, those who forsake the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. It's talking about evil people, right? Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil men whose path are crooked and who are devious in their ways. That is the former way of living. Crooked, evil, devious. That is not who we have called to be. Believers are to live in sharp contrast to the world. Our lives are to be distinguishably different. We're not to be filled with hate and wrath 
and gossip and materialism. We are to be filled with the Spirit. We are to live out Christ in our being. We are to live as though Christ is real and he really impacts our life. Romans says it this way, 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Like when we talk about Jesus coming into our lives, how are we supposed to live? We're supposed to live different. Paul's trying to address how this plays out in their daily lives. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Everybody say that with me one time, newness of life, newness of life. Your life is to be new, transformed, regenerated. You've been made new in Christ. You know what your life should look like? New, different from that which it was before Christ. He should be distinguishably different. How did Jesus refer to it? Day and night. Day and night. Sharp contrast. Your life should be as different as it was in your time in sin as it is in salvation. Day and night. If you look at your life, and Christ hasn't made a remarkably difference in your life, you know what you need to do? Reevaluate your life. See, some people think that because they go to church, they're saved. Some people think that just because they got baptized in water, whether they were a baby, a child, or an adult, that they're automatically saved. Going to church doesn't make you saved. Getting in the water doesn't make you saved any more than sitting in a car or sitting in a garage makes you a car. You need to make sure that your heart and your life is right. And, and I just want to challenge you with this. Because what's too long to be wrong? Eternity. You evaluate your life and ask yourself this question. Is my life dramatically different after Christ than it was before Christ? And I'm not talking about being a legalist. I'm talking about your priorities. I'm not talking about following rules. I'm talking about aligning your life with the mission of Jesus. I'm not talking about, do you check the boxes? I'm talking about, do you check and make sure the people around you know Jesus? If your life, your actions, your morals, your values, your priorities are not dramatically different, you need to look at your life and say, am I really a follower of Jesus? This is a question that we need to be right. I'm not asking everyone to question their salvation. I'm asking you to evaluate your life. Is your life aligning with Jesus? Because I promise you something, Jesus is coming back. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of the cross. Many people will look at Jesus on the day of judgment. And they will look at him and they will say, I prophesied in your name. I taught, I did good works in your name. And Jesus will look at them. And he'll say, depart, for I know you not. Eternity is too long to be wrong. And in the day of judgment, we need to make sure that our salvation is lined up properly with Jesus. As we continue, this anticipated day is coming. Verse 8 says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. Amen? God has not destined us for wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord Jesus. You don't get salvation because you go to church. You know what it's easy for the pastor to say? You need to go to church and tithe or, you know, your salvation. That's not how we get it, right? It's not even tithing. Some of you are like, amen. Some of you are like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's only through Christ Jesus our Lord that we have salvation through Christ who died for us. The reason that salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone is because on the cross at Calvary, he bore our sin. He took on the penalty of, of our own sin. He bore it all. And having died on that cross for our sin, having satisfied that wrath of God, he rose from the dead. And in him we have life and only in him we have life. He died for us so that we, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. One of my favorite pictures of how our life is to contrast that of the world, how our life is to be dramatically different from the world, happens actually at the end of Jesus' life. He's teaching and he hears word that his friend Lazarus dies. He's there four days and then he goes and he makes his way to Bethany where Lazarus was buried and he's there, and the sisters come up, Mary and Martha. One of them yells at him. One of them hugs him. Where were you? Could have healed him. The other one's like, Jesus, it's so good to see you. And as he stands before the tomb, he says, roll the tomb away. Roll the, roll the stone away. And they're all like, Jesus, he stinks, man. His body's been decaying. He's four days dead. Like, we're past the point to where you can visit him. Roll the stone away. He looks, and he commands Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And out of the grave from the dead, Lazarus walks out. And I want you to understand this. People who are outside of a relationship are dead in their sins. They are fully separated from God. That's what it means to be dead in your sins, to be fully separated from God. Just like Lazarus was dead in that tomb, fully separated from God. And Jesus looks and as Lazarus walks out, everybody is astonished. They all knew he was dead. And then Jesus says this word to everyone who's watching. He says, loose him. Unbind him. Remove the grave clothes from Lazarus. See, he was dead in his sin. He was dead in his body. But when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, he was dead no longer. And he had no need of those grave clothes. Make no mistake about it. A Christian who is living in sin is wearing grave clothes. They have no part of you. A, a believer who has a habit, a habitual sin, that sin has no part of the believer. Lose him. Be removed from that. Take the grave clothes off. A believer who has a potty mouth, a believer who has a mouthful of gossip, a believer who runs other people down, that is not the behavior, the character, the conduct, the clothes of a new believer. Loose, be unbound by those sins. Be dramatically different. Christians are to live self-controlled, watchful lives. We are not to be defined by what we were, but who we are in Christ. We are to live out, as Paul would later explain whenever he wrote to the church at Galatia, 
The fruit of the Spirit. Whenever we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it says that it is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I want you to catch something on this. People like to say, I have the fruits of the Spirit. You don't have fruits. You have fruit. You either have it or you don't. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, brotherly love, self-control. That is what Christians are to be defined by, controlled by. We're not to be the people who fly off the handle at any given time. We're not to be the people who cause disruptions and dissension. We're not to be controlled by anything but the Holy Spirit. That is to be the defining mark of the believer. And understand this. When you move from darkness to light, there is a changing of teams. We're going to see this at 9.30. We're going to see two people get baptized. And when Elon and Emery get baptized, we're going to see a changing of the guard, a physical demonstration that they're no longer on a team in darkness, but now they are children of the light. And whenever you join that team of light, you need to understand something. Just going back to our text real quick, we need to understand this fact that Christ is calling us through Jesus Christ, the hope of our salvation, to put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation. We need to be ready for what is coming our way, and that is ready for war. I find this very interesting, that as he's talking about living as children of the light instead of darkness, he gives us this insight and the picture that it will be a battle to live for Jesus. We don't have a good enough understanding of this. So let me give you a translation that might help you. Living for Jesus is not always easy. And if you don't have a war mentality when it comes to living for Jesus, you will suffer the consequences of war. So when I ask you to evaluate your life, evaluate your salvation, that does not mean that if you sin or you struggle with sin or you've fallen into sin, that you're not a believer in Christ. It means that there is a war and you need to be ready to battle for your holiness and righteousness that Christ is working out in you and through you. When we talk about the armor of God, Ephesians elaborates on this. And this is one of the great things about the, the book that we're studying, 1 Thessalonians, is that because this was the first letter in the New Testament, the first book written in the New Testament, it was written so close to Christ's return, we see these pictures in 1 Thessalonians that Paul elaborates on in the other letters. One of them is the armor of God. It talks about how we need to have the, the breastplate of righteousness. We need to live right, live different. The shoes of peace, wearing shoes for your feet, eagerness to spread the gospel of peace. The belt of truth, that we will stand our ground with the truth or a belt around our waist. That we'll have the sword of the spirit, the word of God that's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation is our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Shield of faith, shoe of peace. This idea that when we are ready to live for God, it will be a battle. That should do two things for you. First of all, that should encourage you when you stumble to understand that you're at war, but God redeems you. 
Number two, it should prepare your mind and your mentality to know that your righteousness, your holiness, living for Jesus is a fight. You need to be ready for the fight. You need to be ready because we know this. It's easy to sin and no one has to teach us how to do it. It's just kind of innate in us. So how do we live ready for war? How do we live ready for the coming of Jesus knowing that is coming? How do we live ready for the return of Jesus? Number one, we, we need to set our mind that we will live faithful to Christ. We will either live faithful to our flesh, faithful to ourselves, faithful to our own desires, maybe faithful to others, or we live faithful to Christ. Far too many people who identify with Christ live with the mentality that they want to please others. You cannot please God and man. And please understand this. If you live a life that's pleasing to God, you will please everybody in your life worth pleasing. Live faithful to Christ. Number two, live faithful to one another. I love how Paul over and over and over again in this passage, verse 11 says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You are not made to do life by yourself. Live life for others, with others. Live faithful to one another. Have people in your life that you encourage, that you build up, that you write letters to, that you call, that you check in, that you stop by their house and just say, hey, I want to know how you're doing. Not just when they're sick, but maybe when they're lonely and hurting, but just in general, share your life with others. And then I would say, live faithful to the mission. Live faithful to the mission. Whenever you think about this, there's going to be times where it's easy to share your faith with others, and there's going to be times where you're pinched and it hurt and it's hard. Like if, if you know what happened this week, there was really last week uh, an officer who was slain in the line of duty. I don't know if, if, y'all, if y'all heard this or saw it, his funeral was this week. And one of the things that surprised many people is the daughter of this officer stood up and spoke. She was given an opportunity that she did not ask for. And as she stood to speak at her father's funeral, she could have said anything that she wanted to. She had the stage and the mic. I want you to see what she said. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I didn't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus. Their actions being a reflection of that. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me. But as it's happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live. But when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him. Not to yell at him. Not to scold him. Simply to tell him about Jesus. If you catch what she said, someone who doesn't know Jesus acted like someone who doesn't know Jesus. Where there should be hate, there was a heart of compassion. 
in a moment of pain, she decided that she was going to honor Jesus and the mission of Jesus. We need to live faithful to the mission that Jesus called us to. We need to live in a way that will honor Jesus today and every day.